0: Welcome to Women's Sports Central. I'm Brenda Van Lingen along with Michelle Vopel and we're recording this on Friday the 13th. Friday, September the 13th. Are, are you concerned about that at all, Michelle? That doesn't bother you, does it?
1: No, I actually think it's kind of cool. Um, how many of the Friday the 13th movies have you seen, Brenda?
0: Oh boy. Yes. <laughs> A couple. Probably, I, I couple? definitely know not as many as you.
1: But yeah, it's probably that's probably a safe bet. But no, I think it's I think it's always kind of kind of fun when we have a Friday the Thirteenth. So no, I don't I don't feel unlucky.
0: Yes, yes, uh, Michelle is quite the uh, the horror movie, scary movie connoisseur, and uh, I I learn lots about those kind of movies from you. I don't watch them <laughs> a lot. I learn a lot from you about them.
1: Yeah, because you've been you ca- you've been a captive audience in in a car with me for a long drives. <laughs> To Tulsa and uh, way out, way out in western Kansas, a few times. Mm-hmm. So yes, yes.
0: Well, it's Friday the 13th. There's a lot going on in women's sports. Uh, the college volleyball season has started. We'll talk about uh, that more as the season progresses. Of course, uh, the remarkable accomplishment by Diana Nyad earlier this this month and uh, the WNBA drawing to a close this weekend. The playoffs start next week. Uh, Serena Williams now has won 17 Grand Slams and uh, uh, the announcement has been made that Gino Ariema will be the uh, coach again, repeating as the Olympic coach. So lots to get to. Uh, just uh, I know you know a lot of people have read about and seen all the comments related to Diana Nyad, but we haven't had a show since then. And I just wanted to uh, just give our shout out or mine and just uh, what a remarkable accomplishment that is. I got a chance to go back and watch the the CNN one hour feature on it and everything that went into putting that together and everybody around her besides what Diana accomplished and, and really just the super human accomplishment of what she did. I, I don't know that if I could stay awake for 50, you know, 53 hours, <laughs> let alone exert myself at the highest, uh, physical and mental level. And, and it's just, it's remarkable. And, um, and should be noted and will be for all time. Just just an amazing, amazing accomplishment.
1: It really was. And uh, I think it was especially important to people who are um, 40 and over yeah. because there's so much uh, about our lifestyles that make us trend toward the sedentary. And I think as we get older, it becomes, uh, unfortunately, sort of easier and easier to to find other reasons that we can't do things and, mm-hmm. and, and say, you know, well, you know, I can't do that because I might pull a muscle. I can't do that because I'm too tired. You know, <laughs> I had to work all day. And, and uh, you really have to make that commitment to say, you know, exercising and fitness and trying to just get up and move it isn't really optional mm-hmm. it should be mandatory it should be as important as doing your job every day and i and believe me i'm um i'm guilty of it and so i look at somebody like diana and iad who you could you could say this she was able to do something at age you know 64 that she wasn't able to do when she was in her 20s right so what does that tell you i think it says mm-hmm. a you know she she didn't let go of that ambition but B she did not let go of herself meaning she didn't let her body go she Mm -hmm. kept in shape she kept doing things and Brenda we know I mean shoot a few times across the pool for most of us (laughs) is enough so your goal doesn't have to be to swim from Cuba to to Florida that's going to be a one in a million person a one in a billion
0: people
1: but your goal should be Hey, what's reasonable for me to maintain my fitness and mm-hmm. and my good health as I get older and to not feel like you don't you don't you're not able to do that anymore once you hit a certain age?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that is that is absolutely the truth, and and she's such an inspiration to so many. And I'm competing in another uh, sprint triathlon tomorrow. I shouldn't say competing because competing is a little strong. But I'm participating in another sprint triathlon tomorrow. And you know, I just think about the swim part of it is not my favorite. And so when I think about what she accomplished, it, it is even more amazing to me. But I think it's it's so true that all of us, no matter where we are in our lives, in our careers, etc. Just taking care of our bodies and, and, and setting that next goal uh, in our careers or next fitness goal or whatever. It, it helps drive you and, and, and the accomplishment uh, that Diana Nyad has, has forged uh, is an inspiration to so many. So we want to give a shout out to her and, and uh, not as old, but on the end of their basketball careers uh, are Katie Smith. Uh, 39 and Tina Thompson at 38 wrapping up their WNBA careers this year and uh you wrote a, a great story on them that is out on the espn.com website today and uh I'm so glad that, that went up today I was hoping that we could speak about that but the these are two women that are absolutely pioneers in the sport in many ways but uh primarily because we uh, in the United States have gotten to see them from before even they were college athletes through their entire professional careers and Olympic careers, and we had the good fortune of being able to see them. Yes, there were others that made their their lives, uh, their living playing professional basketball, you know, before, but so many of them had to go overseas for for all of it, or most of it, and these two, we got to see—we got to see them play throughout their entire professional careers, and they—they um, they are still—they are finishing as strong as ever.
1: And that's really a, a lot of what I wanted to get across in this story, and I think why it's so important to take some time out this this week for those of you who are women's basketball fans and really stop and appreciate what Tina Thompson and Katie Smith have meant because of the fact that they really set the standard for what it was like to be a professional who played in the United States whose career was very visible. Mm-hmm. And that is something they're extraordinarily grateful for because the people that they learned from, and, and Tina Thompson I thought was was very um, gracious in talking about that it was Cynthia Cooper who set a standard every day in practice back in 1997 mm. when Coop was 34 years old and Tina was 22. And Tina was like, hey, I, I saw every every drill that, that Coop wanted to win. And I thought to myself, wow, that's really cool at 34. This old lady's still doing this. I, <laughs> I, You know, I want to be able to do that, too. And then she said, but I also don't want for this 34-year-old to make me look bad. I'm 22. I'm supposed to be able to beat her. And mm-hmm. she's the best player we have, uh, you know, on our floor. Hmm. And so what Coop did was really helping pave that way. Um and she but she had the bulk of her um professional career over in Italy. And mm-hmm. and Brenda, I've often thought about this. We saw how good Coop was mm-hmm. uh in her in her relatively brief WNBA career. She was the best player in the WNBA for a couple of years. Can you imagine how good she probably was at like 26, 27 mm-hmm. that we really didn't see her. Yeah. Um and and so that's something that Katie and and Tina are were very very um thankful for is that they got the experience of some of the older players who didn't get their same visibility, but then let's give them credit, Katie and Tina for Mm -hmm. they had the visibility and they used that um, very wisely. They were both such good ambassadors, good with the media, intelligent, um, good with fans. They were, as Brian Agler said, if there was an important meeting or there was some, you know, sales pitch that we had in the community, We wanted players like Katie and Tina Mm -hmm. to be available because we knew what good ambassadors they were. We knew how people would be impressed with our league just by talking to them, not just – not just watching them play, and I think that's a lesson for younger players too. That Absolutely, your role in in women's sports, especially, although I, I sometimes think men's sports really doesn't realize how important it is for them still too, because mm-hmm. we're all still selling. You know, professional sports is about selling yourself to a consumer, and for for younger players to look at players like Katie and Tina and say, you know what, it you have to keep it in shape. You have to be you know you have to be present all the time when you're out on the basketball court. you have to compete, but you also have to carry yourself a certain way, mm-hmm. and you have responsibilities that go beyond just playing basketball well. I can't think of two players who did all those things any better, mm-hmm. and the fact that they you know they launched their careers their pro careers right with the beginning of the ABL and Katie's case and the WNBA with Tina. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah, know, they would say timing was everything, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they appreciate the, those opportunities.
0: And I was, I think it's cool the fact that Katie Smith got to spend her last few years in the WNBA with two of the coaches that were so meaningful on her path, Brian Egler and and Bill Lambier. And you know, the fact that Katie Smith won two ABL titles with the Columbus Quest, and and talking about learning from those older veteran players, she played with Andrea Lloyd and Valerie Still, and some of those players that. That that carved the path and and played professionally overseas and and, and kind of was that role model for her like uh, Cynthia Cooper was for Tina, for Tina Thompson. And you know you look at the the resumes from uh, Smith having the two ABL championships, the two WNBA championships with Detroit, the three gold medals. Tina Thompson with the four WNBA championships with the Comets, and the two gold medals. And and you said uh, something that you said about. Uh, you know, being the being the consummate professionals and role models, and something that I think younger players should learn from. But uh, you also mentioned in your article, Tina Thompson said she was there at the beginning of the WNBA and has seen it all in her past in her entire career, and she can really give back to the league because she's seen it from the inside. And how can it be improved? How can it be marketed better? There was a big emphasis on marketing early, but maybe. It's dropped off in some ways, and I just I appreciated that uh, you know she's the kind of person too that will will stand up and make make those comments and and push toward things being better and things being improved, and and people should listen to her because she's she's been there done that.
1: Exactly, and and I would say that is sort of the this is the next um, you know. Phase of these women's lives, and you and I have talked about that really the whole time we've had the show. Is yep. we have this generation of of women now who are in, into their late thirties, early forties, and 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 a lot of them coming up now in their mid thirties um, that have been really huge beneficiaries of Title nine and professional leagues. They've had opportunities that no generation of women really before them had. Now they're going to be entering their post-playing careers, and, and these are people who also have, all, virtually all of them, have traveled all over the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very cosmopolitan people. They have a mm-hmm. lot of knowledge about how things are done in other countries, yeah. uh, things that have happened before. They have a lot of institutional knowledge in terms of the history of of women's basketball as they've played it. And now we're going to look to them to be leaders. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that some of these folks, um, you know, even going down into the age range of the Sioux birds and not that they're ready to retire yet, but mm-hmm. it's going to be coming. Um, at Tamika Ketchings, that these people are going to enter into things like athletic administration, like, you know, being a general managers, um, you know, of, of WNBA teams of being coaches in the WNBA and college basketball. And, that's going to be their next, um, you know, gift, I think, to give women sports. They've given a great deal with their athletic talent and their personalities, and now it's going to be what is the what is the next path for all these people? Because they're some remarkable people. Absolutely. I mean, you think about it. Um, hmm. These two retiring at the same time. These are two surefire Hall of Famers. Yes. Tina Thompson, Katie Smith, and – we have some, you know, again, following in their path that within the next five years we're gonna have probably some more of these folks um getting into other things besides playing basketball. And and it's pretty exciting. It'll be hard for all of them. It's hard because they've you know, they've had these long playing careers, but also you look at that and say, Hey, these are super competitive people it's gonna be fun to see what else they, they do with mm-hmm. their competitiveness. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned Hall of Famers. So we should we should mention the fact uh, that Sylvia Hatchell and Don Staley were just inducted into the uh, Naismith Hall of Fame. And you and I exchanged some comments on uh, social media about uh, Don Staley and her speech. Uh, Just and I've had the opportunity, um, you've had the opportunity to cover her throughout her entire career, uh, you know, starting in Virginia. And I've broadcast a, a few of her games at South Carolina in the last few years. And it's just, it's such an honor to watch her go about her craft and, um, you know, whether it was playing or now coaching. And she is one of those players that we're just talking about taking it, taking her playing career and all the the gifts and and benefits that she got and taking it to the next, uh, part of her life and giving back through coaching. And she's just a phenomenal coach. And I just, um, I loved her delivery of her hall of fame speech. If you haven't gotten a chance to see it, go find it on YouTube because, uh, as I, as I had tweeted, you know, Dawn, um, delivered her speech in the way that she, plays that in the way that she played the game and the way she coaches the game, just absolutely no nonsense, serious, but with such humility. And you know, um, that she is delivering at the, the top of her game. There, there's just no messing around. And I just, I appreciate that so much in her and really appreciated her, her hall of fame speech.
1: It was, it was really, um, moving to watch. And especially if, uh, You have the opportunity, which I did, to know what she was like when she was a college player, which Mm -hmm. she she was very, very quiet and didn't have a lot to say. I always felt she was somewhat, you know, guarded. Uh, she was as she said, in her Hall of fame speech she's the kid from Philly who suddenly you know in Charlottesville talk about a culture shock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was very different for her and and Don didn't really know who who do you trust who are the you know it's she she was sort of in combat mode, I think when she got there because um she she grew up in 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 a rougher area, mm-hmm. and so she had to um you know and she don would say this herself she had to learn how to trust people she had to learn how to um let down her guard a little and realized that you know being a being a great teammate sometimes you know meant opening yourself up some and she became a great teammate and it is very nice to see that she is so self-confident now and that even though she joked about being nervous i thought her speech was you know it was remarkable mm-hmm. because it went through all the all the times of her career and the times of her growth with with really um with really meaningful thank yous to mm, the people who yes. helped her along the way, yes. and we do, we do. I think we're going to see players because because Don's even you know four years older than than Katie Smith and five mm-hmm. years older than Tina Thompson, and that actually was a difference because Don didn't yep. have you know a pro league right away. We didn't see Don professionally until '96, so it's you know we didn't see those really really early first pro years. Um, but what we have seen with dawn is a, is a real ability to translate um what she knows to teaching and not everybody can do that nope. and that's okay not everybody's cut out to do it there's right. some people who are cut out to do other things and but dawn's one of the one of the people who's been cut out to be a good coach and i when she says she's going to win a national championship i don't doubt it mm-hmm. i think we could see that
0: mhm Yes, I agree. And you mentioned uh, in your article about Katie Smith and Tina Thompson that Katie Smith wants to get into coaching and I just I appreciated her comments as well that uh by this time in her career she's at a point where she understands not everybody is like her. And she appreciates that more. And I think that's part of the problem for a lot of great players getting into coaching is they can't relate to everybody. And Katie, because of the experiences that she's had professionally, is in a position where she can. And I think that um, will enable her to be probably a but much better coach now uh, than she would have been had she, you know, started that maybe, uh, you know, right out of college or, or earlier. I think she's had those experiences that will help her to be a better coach so I'm excited to see uh, her coaching career uh, develop as well so thank you for putting those articles on and and the things that you you had written about Don Staley as well on ESPN.com anything else before we go to the WNBA playoffs
1: Uh, I guess you know you know coach Hatchell uh, has been around a long time and 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 she's actually I don't want she's not a polarizing figure there's some people who, who are not as fond of Sylvia as other people I think that's fair to say but when you talk to her at length about her life, one thing that is undeniable, no matter, you know, no matter what you think in, in terms of, you know, some of her coaching moves or whatever, is that she's an incredibly hard worker. And she came from pretty, a pretty humble background, mm-hmm. She worked. She grew up working in, you know, in a textile factory when she was when she was a teenager. She worked in a textile factory. She mowed lawns. She returned bottles. I mean, she really has that work ethic. And she got into coaching when, you know, you didn't make any money in coaching. And so that's one of the things I admire about her is she really she is a hustler. She knows how to work hard. And those are lessons that I think no matter what generation you're in, no matter how many technological uh, devices or whatever make your life easier there's still nothing that can replace being a hard worker it's the most cliche thing we will ever say on this show (laughs) and we'll say it over and over again and you have brenda you have kids so you've probably said it enough times that you know um you know you've probably said it a billion times Mm -hmm. in the last uh you know 20 years or something but there's nothing that replaces hard work and and that is one thing I really do admire about Coach Hatchell is that she doesn't, you know, she works just as hard now as she did when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. So but she's kept that up.
0: Yeah. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up because uh, the success she's had with over 900 victories and and the national uh, titles at so many different levels is so impressive, and and so much of that is because of. The uh, her her work ethic and uh, I'm glad you brought that up as well as we um, move on to the WNBA. The WNBA wraps up this Sunday. There are still a few games. So today's Friday the 13th. Well, there'll be some games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Pretty much everything is in place. The Western Conference. Uh, we know that Minnesota has won the Western Conference, and they will be playing Seattle and Los Angeles. And Phoenix will be two versus three in the Western Conference, which I am. Really fascinated to see, and uh, uh, we'll get back to that in just a minute. But what we don't know is um, the third and fourth place positions in the Eastern Conference. Chicago is far and above uh, number one uh, position, Atlanta number two, and then Indiana and Washington uh, the Fever and the Mystics are tied right now, and uh, coincidentally, they each play New York and Connecticut, the two teams that aren't making the playoffs, so they can play the role of spoilers uh, this weekend, so we'll find out how, how and if that tie is broken, and if, if they both win both games or whatever combination, and they're, they're still tiebreakers, we'll still have to figure that out, but that's all that's yet to be determined as far as the race overall.
1: Yeah, and you've got Indiana with all the injuries that they've had this year. I mean, they really got hit, uh, and, and they're not the only team. Certainly a lot of teams got hit by injuries. But the Fever, as the defending champions, uh, had a lot of things go wrong for them, and they were still able to make the playoffs for the ninth consecutive year and may end up finishing third in the conference. Uh-huh. I think there's a lot of credit given um, to to obviously to, to make a catchings and to Lynn Dunn. But players like Shavante Zellis, who had a really good um, postseason last year and has carried that over, I think, she'll get a lot of votes. Um, she's certainly got mine for most improved player because – some players you might see them have that that surge in a postseason and then then they don't carry it over consistently and, and she has. I think they wouldn't be in this position without zealous. Uh you look at Mike Tebow who was able to go into Washington in sure. his first season there and um you know and he brought in Ivory Latta, which was a really, really good move. I mean she's been a terrific point guard for the Mystics and, and brought the kind of energy that the team really needed. And you know they're they're going to be in the postseason. So I think that that's a, a lot of credit. I'm not surprised. Um, mm-hmm. I also you have to give credit to Atlanta. That they were the team I thought was going to be on the outside looking, and I thought New York would be able to get into the postseason. Uh, Angel McCautry has really carried that team. I think she's a legitimate MVP candidate for sure. I mean, there's no question she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the the role players have been good. Erica D'Souza. De Souza has been very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't had Sancho Little, so they've had to rely on their role players a lot, um, complimenting Angel. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's been um you know, that's been uh, I think pretty impressive that they've made the postseason. And then the team at the top finally, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they waited seven years and they got the missing piece and she's been phenomenal. Yes, she, she was has. my pick to be and, and I think a lot of people, it wasn't just me. Uh, even though Brittany was a number one uh Britney was the number one pick by Phoenix, I really thought that Elena Donne would be rookie of the year. I thought she'd have more of an immediate impact uh for Chicago and she has and I don't know if you uh you know, the listeners saw just the uh just uh, night before last yep. when Elena made the the spin move. You know, the play wasn't called for her, but you know what? You don't have to call plays <laughs> when you're that talented. You uh-huh. that right there is a perfect example of how talented she is, because it's a busted play. You know, Phoenix wasn't, you know, Phoenix didn't give them what they wanted. And she said, well, that's okay. I'll just do a spin move and mm-hmm. you know, hit a basket at the buzzer to beat you. And and if you're the Mercury, you're probably like, you know, Mercury's not a very good defensive team. Nobody would say but you're probably like, you know, what do we do with that? <laughs> right. That's that's pretty good. And and so it's really I think, thank goodness, honestly, for the Chicago franchise that mm-hmm. uh, they they were able to not just make the playoffs this year, but make it definitively as the Eastern Conference first-place team.
0: And so many impressive wins. That one, they were down by 10 points to Phoenix uh, going into the fourth quarter, and they, they attacked Brittany Griner and got her in foul trouble, and uh, Epiphany Prince and Sylvia Fowles and Deladon just did the work and got them back in, and that... That uh, that move that shot by DelaDon was just uh, incredible, and it made you know, made me think back to their their uh, win against Minnesota when DelaDon had hit the three pointer, uh, coming around a couple of screens and squaring up and raising up and hitting a three to send it into overtime and, and beating Minnesota. I mean th- they've had some they've had big wins like that against uh, the Western Conference that has to help them. Uh, as they prepare and you know you don't want to look ahead and they've never been in the playoffs but um you know they they are set up to have a very successful track in these playoffs
1: i think so and and even though they've never made the playoffs before you have players like Fowles and prince who've played overseas and been successful and are and are um You know, they've been they've been hungering to do this. And you have Swin Cash. I'm going to be writing about her next week, but Swin's going to be going for her fourth WNBA title, which puts her in pretty rare air. And she's going to be trying to do it with a third different team. She's obviously won titles, won a couple titles in Detroit, won um, with Seattle. And we always knew what an elite player Swin was but I think what she's doing now in the later part of her career really is is putting her um apart into that really really group of of I think very very important players in the WNBA because she, because she wins championships mm-hmm. and um and she's been a big factor for that team too. She's not the superstar on that team mm-hmm. but she's the one who comes in knowing what it takes to win a championship. She's playing her role well. She's also been remarkably durable throughout her entire career. She had the the back issues back in two thousand and five, but other than that, she's hardly missed any time. And I think that's been a big help. Elena Deladon's been rookie of the year, no question. She's been phenomenal. But I bet she would be the first to say, Hey, it really has helped that I've played I'm playing with uh, just a remarkable center who really clears out a lot of space and who really takes up a lot of attention, Mm -hmm. a really great veteran um, in twin cash, a terrific shooter in in Tiffany Prince, and then a point guard in Courtney VanderSloot who's really grown up. And and in her third season in the league, I think really sees things better. She's become a better defensive player. Elena would be the first to say, hey, I didn't come in here and do it all. I, I came into a perfect situation that needed a player like me mm-hmm. and then I've been able to do what I do.
0: Yeah. She she has filled her she's filled the the gap that they needed and then she has excelled and and accomplished so much as a rookie and and fit in so well. So I'm excited about that. You know, you've got the you've got the experience uh with uh not only uh Atlanta and Indiana with their finals experience and championship for the Fever and then you've got the uh, the Mike Tebow factor as well, so you've got a lot going on there in the Eastern Conference. But I, I'm just excited to see how that develops. But uh, I'm really intrigued to uh, see who ends up coming out of the West. And you know Minnesota lost by by one to L.A. Uh, last night, but they've played so well as they've bounced back from losing in the in the championship series last year. And, you know, we, we talked about, the, I think this on an on a earlier show, you know, fitting in Janelle Carville into the mix has been uh, positive in the play of Monica Wright off the bench and so forth, uh, along with all their superstars. But uh, but I, especially in the playoffs, I'm really intrigued about uh, this first round matchup. And I'm, I'm kind of intrigued too, Michelle, I, I'd like to get your take on this. Um, as Phoenix and LA have played against each other three times this season Phoenix has won twice and LA once and now they play Sunday before they play each other in the playoffs so you know how much how much uh, you know everything's set so Sunday's game really doesn't matter but does it matter I mean, do you use that game to get an edge, or do you use that game just to play the game and get it over with and then you know, bring out all the stops? I, I'm just really intrigued to see how both teams approach Sunday's game before the playoffs because you've got L.A. coming off the, the one-point win over Minnesota, and you've got Phoenix coming off that last-second loss to Chicago. How do they approach the, the last game of the regular season before they play each other in the first round?
1: I think I, I would be more, I think I would tend to say you kind of just get this game over with. Now, I could be wrong about this, but these are both teams that are led by veteran players and have players with experience. And the game doesn't, you know, really mean anything. Okay. Uh, they, they know they're going to be playing each other. You don't want any injuries. I, I don't think there's too much of, a, of an issue with, seeing it, they already know what each other does there's, mm-hmm. no, there's not a whole lot they're going to be holding back i'm not saying you just go out there and don't try that's not what i mean at all but i don't know that this is a game where they're going to you know that it, that you necessarily want to be um pushing your starters to the limit to win this game right um so it may be that the starters play a certain amount of time and then maybe it's each team has you know some players that they want you know hey we we want to you know, get her some touches. We want to get her confidence going, um, you know, headed into the playoffs. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of more what I look at. But I don't think either team, if they lose this game, is going to be is gonna think about it for five seconds. Oh
0: yeah, no. no. Uh,
1: after it's over. So, uh, but you are a former coach. So I'm curious what you think about that. How 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 do you approach that?
0: Well, I I think I think you've I think you've outlined it really well. I, I think both teams will go in to play hard uh, and play well. Early, but not expend the energy with uh their their starters, you know get everybody a chance to play and and give everybody a chance to play. not the thing is they haven't played for a while, and I know they know what each other does, but they haven't played against each other for a while and i still right. I still think there's a matter of getting an edge. I think there's going to be some gamesmanship in this game right you know and, and some and some getting into each other's head because. You know, the Sparks have had a, a great season. They've had great performances from uh, Tolliver and Ogwumike as well, you know, the leadership of Parker, etc. cetera. Uh, and, you know, the, at the beginning of the season we were talking about which of these three teams, Minnesota, L.A., or Phoenix, is going to win the West. Well, Phoenix has had the most disappointing season as far as wins and losses. Now, you know, there are, there are a number of reasons, and, you know, Uh, Tarasi missing a couple of games being suspended uh, has to be a factor. Brittany Griner's injury has to be a factor and other things, but, and then, you know, the coaching change, et cetera. Uh, To me, Phoenix has a lot to prove in this playoff series. And, but I think in some ways LA does, because I think they, you know, saw themselves as a team that could win the Western conference. So, um, so in that way, uh, I don't see anybody taking anything for granted. Yes, they want to get through this, not get anybody hurt. But I'm just—I'm real interested to see the, how these playoffs develop between these two teams. It's—it's it's just going to be such a uh, uh, so intriguing and a, a great playoff to watch between the Sparks and the Mercury.
1: And I guess, you know, people might be listening and saying, well, wait, what about, you know, home court advantage? And I guess that is something. maybe the Sparks will be saying, hey, if we, you know, if we win this, um, you know, maybe that would be the difference in us if we end up being, you know, the Western Conference champions having – the home court advantage. And so that is important to them. They may be looking at that and the fact that they really love protecting their home court. So those may be two things that play a bigger factor, you know, maybe than what I earlier stated. And them saying, hey, I think we do have something uh, we want to play for. But by the same token, you you know, I I think they they also don't necessarily want to you know you have to be careful about how hard you push in mm-hmm. this game i think but they but you could say hey they they might be looking at this and saying um you know maybe you know we want to we want to hopefully have a better record than whoever the eastern conference um champion ends up being out of the playoffs so that we're we're hosting um so that that may be something that they're playing for mm-hmm. um then, you know, in the other series, which you know uh, has been one-sided for Minnesota, Minnesota's, you know, won every game um, against Seattle. So the Storm's going to have to, um, you know, find something different than they found during the regular season. But you can look at last year. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that Lauren Jackson jumper, you know, at the buzzer could have been, you know, they could have upset Minnesota. So last year it was sort of the same thing. Minnesota was the big favorite coming into the playoffs, but Seattle really pushed that right to the wire. And, and again, this is Tina Thompson's potentially the last game she's going to play. She's been such a huge factor. you got to give Seattle and Brian Agler so much credit. They didn't tank this season. They could have, Mm -hmm. and they did They They really played as hard as they could to the wire, and they're in the playoffs again for the 10th time. Uh, in a row. I mean, think about how long it's been since Seattle hasn't been in the playoffs. Right. I mean, there there is 2003. I mean, my goodness, such a long time ago, and they they got that. I would say you have to give Tina Thompson a, a ton of credit for how she's played really well right to the end, and ca- players like Camille Little, Tanisha Wright. I mean, they have been such uh, professionals. This season and Brian Agler told me the other day. He said, "You know, I talked about who wasn't here on the first day. Okay, Lauren's not. Lauren Jackson's not here. Sue Bird's not here. And that's it. We're not talking about it anymore. Which I think is the right thing to do. You know, they're not coming back. It's not like, hey, LJ is coming back at the end of the season or Sue. You know, they're not going to be there. It's you have to do it without them. And and I think they should be really proud of how well they have played without those two. So, speaking of two other future Hall of Famers." Mm-hmm.
0: But Minnesota has uh is in the driver's seat uh, yes. with the, with the season that they've had, and Maya Moore leads them in scoring with eighteen points a game Simone augustus Lindsey Whalen has been fantastic and uh, you know Rebecca Brunson does what she does uh owning the boards and it's you know with the the most recent success it's it's really their playoffs to lose through the whole thing, don't you think
1: yes absolutely and and i think you could have said the same it's the same as the last two years mm-hmm. um the you know they won in in 2011 last year i know they were disappointed because they they really felt like they let that the finals get away from them but they came in the favorite both those years and i think they come in the favorite uh this year too with a certain kind of hunger Mm -hmm. because they know that they lost something that was attainable last year and and they've played very well. And, and, you know, they're just such a hard team, even though LA did beat them last night. They're a hard team to beat in a series. Mm -hmm. Indiana found a way to do it last year, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to be able to take, you know, maybe you can grab one game away from the Lynx, but it sure is hard to beat them in, in the course of either a, best of 3 or best of 5 series.
0: I would agree. So that starts next Thursday, uh the WNBA playoffs after uh you know a few things get determined this weekend and uh we'll be on top of that and keeping an eye on it. Any uh, parting thoughts before we wrap things up, Michelle?
1: I'll be headed to Chicago, so it'll be fun to see what sort of playoff crowd uh first first playoff game in in sky history it'll be interesting to see what kind of crowd that they're able to get for that
0: it definitely will well thank you everybody for uh for listening in we appreciate uh, you being with us uh, on women's sports central have a great weekend make sure you get on uh, twitter and send us a tweet if there's a topic that you want us to discuss or a, a matter that uh, uh, you think should be part of the conversation we'd love to hear from you so thanks for joining us on behalf of michelle vopel i'm Brenda Van Lingen. This is Women's Sports Central.